place accountably. So, uh, what I'd like to have a, say a few brief words about tonight is about um, pointlessness. You know, and when we experience our life as pointless. And you know, the um, reading we did tonight, the Heart Sutra, is really um, a rather complicated way of saying life is pointless, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. No, no, no attainment, nothing to attain, etc., etc., etc. No suffering, no end of suffering. Mm-hmm. And my words that I said during the sitting, you know, along the lines of, um, when, when you when you thoroughly see that that Zazen is completely useless, um, you'll find great freedom. That's really just paraphrasing the Heart Sutra. Mm-hmm. Um, but it takes a while to really to really get that and to understand it. I remember um, a Dharma talk that uh, one of my teachers, Robert Aitken, gave once many years ago, and um, he ba- he brought up the uh, story of um, David Hume, who you may may know was a Scottish English philosopher, you know, 19th to 18th century, quite sure, but that sort of in age of enlightenment period, where religion was being challenged a lot and traditional ideas and um, and David Hume obviously must have been a person who really reflected very deeply on life and tried to put aside all of the assumptions you know about what life is and understanding and just look at it through clear eyes and experience and um, he, his conclusions that he came up with were very similar to to Zen experience, even though he may have reached it by an intellectual avenue. Um, But he basically uh, came to, the view he came to was that there's really just sensory experience, you know, there's sort of hearing and seeing and feeling, touching, etc. And there wasn't any self that was actually experiencing it or any soul or anything like that. And there was just this, the, the momentariness of sensory experience. However, um, his experience was when he came to this very deeply held view, you know, after years and years of investigation, um, probably to say he was depressed might be um, too strong a word, but it was something like that. There was some sense of fear and, and despair that this was all life was. And so apparently he spent the rest of his life basically um, playing baccarat with his friends, you know, sort of involved in trivial pursuits um, as a way of trying to distract himself from this, this, um, this uh, you know, um, sense that life was empty. Um, whereas in Zen, we, we through, not through an intellectual process, but through a meditative process, we, we, we actually come to that very same point um, but something can shift within it. Now, um, uh, to, you know, to, to uh, understand and empathise David Hume's position, you know, he, he didn't have a sangha around him, he didn't have anyone else sharing his views, he didn't have anyone else before him, you know, who could guide him through this process. And, you know, when you're, when you're living in a culture that's believed in God and a soul and so on for centuries before you, 
and suddenly you, you don't believe that anymore. Um, you could imagine if you put yourself in, in, in his shoes, it would be a rather a daunting experience that you found it difficult to make much sense out of. And it can also happen to people through like general life experience, but, but in particular doing zazen, like if you're really committed to it and you do it every day, and particularly if you, you, you do sessions, you know, that's, you're just doing it hour after, after hour and day after day for a long period of time. It's not surprising that people will come to some sense in, them, in themselves of, of pointlessness. Like, what, like, what am I doing this for? Huh? Looking at a wall, breathing. Hmm. Odd. Hmm. Where am I? Where am I getting to in this? And um, there are many koans which um, point to this experience. One which I've mentioned many times because it's one of my favourite koans is um, Seize Alone and Destitute, where a very mature senior monk has been having this experience of feeling very like dry and barren in his experience, like the, the pointlessness of it. And but he's a very humble man, you know, he's not hiding it or anything and he he's open and vulnerable and he comes to his teacher and says my name is Seisei and I'm, I'm alone and destitute. Can you, can you give me arms? In other words, can you give me any words to nurture me or guide me out of this experience? And his teacher says, Venerable Sei, Venerable Seisei. And Seisei says, yes, teacher. And then the teacher says, you have just drunk three cups of the finest wine in China. And still you say you have not moistened your lips. And that's the koan. Mm-hmm. And if you become clear about that koan, you'll see into the, the whole point of it, which is pointless. Um, that's one example of it. Another koan is, why, why do you put on your seven-piece robe at the sound of the bell? Well, you could use anything, you know. Why do you, why do you get up in the morning when the alarm bell goes off? Mm-hmm. Why do you go off to work? Why do you come home? You know, why do you live? Mm-hmm. And um, and that that brings us into focus around this experience of pointlessness as well. Some people um, experience have an experience of so-called emptiness, and it's a it's a joyful experience. It's a heartwarming experience, and they feel connected, very connected to life. Sometimes people have what appears to be a similar experience, but it's bleak, and they're left sort of a bit shattered by it and and fearful of practice. And there might be a lot of reasons what's occurring there. Um, Maybe the the person who has the bleak experience rather than the peak experience may be prone to depression, for maybe for biological reasons or psychological reasons. So when they touch on the emptiness, it, 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 it touches up some um, low mood experience. Maybe something like that occurs. But I think the more Zen-related understanding of that, when people have a sense of pointlessness and it's bleak, I, I think all of us have got to go through it at some point in our life or some time in our practice. But it actually welcome it 
when it comes because it's kind of like a, a deepening of practice when it occurs. Because probably as much as you, you, you could say the words, um, unconsciously, consciously, we take up Zen practice and we put so much investment in it because we're looking for something. And the looking for something is a chasing of something outside of ourselves in this moment. And we can put it in lovely language of, you know, um, cultivating good character or being a good person or being enlightened or whatever it might be. But there's still, you know, if I look back over 40 years of sitting, I can see in those early years, you know, a, a drivenness to search and to find something. And if I if I get it, then everything will be okay. And it can take years and years of practice for that kind of, may I say, deluded form of sitting to fall away. Mm-hmm. We're all caught up in it. So sometimes we have a, a, a feeling of pointlessness about practice or about life or whatever. And what it's really, and if it's bleak, what it's kind of really showing to us, sometimes in a painful way, um, is that we had expectations. And they may have been unconscious, but that we have expectations. And the expectation is not being fulfilled. You know, I'm not not becoming this different or wonderful person that I thought I was going to be. Um, But if you stay with it, unlike David Hume, if you've got a sangha and a teacher and a a tradition to help you understand what you're going through and make sense of the experience. Well, you can you can stay with it, and you you eventually come out the other side of it. Because what you realise is that um, chasing something was pointless very from the right from the very beginning. Yet you were caught up in it, and and you really do understand in a very funny kind of way that sitting is useless. Just breathe. Just sit there and breathe. And your heart beats. And you breathe. And you listen to sound coming and going. And there's nothing outside of that momentariness that you need to to add on to it. David Hume experienced something similar to us, he he experienced um, uh, momentariness, just sensory experience coming and going, just coming and going. Mm -hmm. Um, If you do this practice long enough, um, you'll clearly realise that there's nothing outside of that that you need. And the emptiness upholds you, do you know, it's it's kind of... um, it upholds you, it sort of, um, it, it give, in a funny sense, it, it gives meaning to your life. Mm-hmm. Um, not meaning in in a in a academic sense, an intellectual sense or a religious sense, it's all to do with words, but it does become meaningful in the sense that you have um, um, more sense of connectedness to life and a deeper sense of connectedness to life. See, the words are very, very confusing sometimes to people because to experience emptiness is really to experience fullness. 
and you're empty of self and you're full of life. Right? That's what happens. So if, if you really, really clearly have an experience of emptiness and no self, fullness of life is what is, is the, the outcome of it, more connectedness. The more connectedness you have with life, with people, with animals, with nature, with the stars, your own body, your own experience, the more meaningful it is. Mm-hmm. Um, the more we're caught up in our own isolated, narrow experience of the life, of life, then, then in, in everyday terms, the more meaningless it does seem. So I know the words are convoluted and, you know, and, and paradoxical, but that's kind of how it works. You, you experience emptiness and in that emptiness, everything is extremely full and nothing is missing. Mm-hmm.